G'day, you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Burrell. My name is Adam Draycott and welcome. This has been prepared for the 16th of January 2022 and our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 66 verse 4. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Let's do that now. We come to the ministry of God's Word, and our Bible readings today come from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 2 to 19, Psalm 40, 
verses 8 to 13. And John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Please take a moment to read those passages out loud, particularly uh, the text from John's Gospel. Read it out loud, even if you're on your own or with, if you're with others. Uh, read it through once, read it through twice. It's all very beneficial. When we come to our passage today, we are in Cana. Uh, in Galilee, and I've probably mentioned this. Have I told you I've been there? Um, now that, that's a comment that is mildly annoying to my family and some of the parishioners here in Inverell. Uh, here are some photos. Uh, in 2016, I had the privilege of uh, doing um, uh, a study tour throughout what they call the Holy Land. This is downtown modern Cana. Uh, churches as pictured now, uh, would be built on top of ruins. And every time a new empire would come in, uh, the building would be destroyed and then something was built on top of that. Uh, which means that on these sites, there are layer, layers upon layers upon layers of discoveries. But to find the, to find the riches, to, to find the information, the, uh, the evidence, you need to dig. You need to go down. And so, of course, under this building, there is a crypt. And in the crypt, one can see ruins of a 4th century Roman Byzantine church. And as you walk into the crypt, also on display are jars. These jars. And um, are they what you imagined? Um, I remember laying eyes on these and being absolutely struck. They're not what I imagined, I tell you. They're like a mini plunge pool, aren't they? That's the jars. Now, uh, Cana. Cana, in the Bible, it's also remembered as the hometown of Nathaniel. And you should know Nathaniel because he's in the previous story. He's the character that's sceptical about Jesus. And he's the one that asks <laughs> Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it's like someone from Inverell saying, oh, Glen Innes, can anything good come out of Glen Innes? It's classic hometown rivalry. And we land in this story that's the passage prior to we our feet are in Cana now and we find ourselves in a wedding and uh, the characters are there Mary is there the mother of Jesus Jesus himself and his mates and now they're looking like out-of-towners aren't they this family from Nazareth have been invited and of course we know the crisis uh, there is a crisis uh, the wine has run out. Jesus saves the day. Hallelujah. We go home happy. And that's the talk. That's it. Is that it? Or can we dig a bit deeper? Uh, let's dig a bit deeper. And let's, as I pray, I'm going to ask the Lord that we would spend our time well. Let me pray. Father God, 
as we open up your word. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Um, help us to spend our time well now for the next few minutes, Lord. Show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus, and lead us in the way of repentance and faith. Um, help us to put aside the distractions, the temptation to be uh, distracted or even lazy or even maybe indifferent. Help us to be people that hunger and yearn to be fed by your word. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's pick it up at verse, uh, verses 1 to 4. Uh, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother, she's never called Mary in John's Gospel, by the way. Uh, Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Jesus replied, well, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Ah, I love it. Now when you read uh, in verse 4, Woman, don't be alarmed. It's not derogatory. It's not like calling Mary the old battle axe or the old lady. It's not disrespectful. Um, it's more like mom, um, a general uh, phrase of respect, which I had to scratch my head and go, well, what would that be in Aussie terms? And uh, mom was as good as it got, and I don't hear that too often, which really doesn't say much about the Aussie lingo. I mean, if it's a bloke, hey, mate, hey, that's, a bit, that's respectful and honouring. But um, anyway, it's strange he doesn't call her mum. That's true. You can think about that. Uh, but what about the th first three words of our text? On the third day, four words. Mm. Uh, on the third day, four words should grab us too. Um, it's a time marker. Uh, I got distracted. I'm like, well, why, why is he saying the third day? Every other time he said the next day, the next day. Um, it's the third day since arriving in Galilee. And so John wants you to know that that point, um, that time marker. But maybe also the third day serves as a cue as to what's to come later in verse 19. What does verse 19 say? Uh, Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. And they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? What are you talking about? But the temple Jesus had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This should ring some bells when we get to verse 4. Because in verse 4, Jesus is talking about, My hour has not yet come. In John's Gospel, Jesus' hour refers to the cross. That's what he's talking about. Let me prove it. Uh, if you flick over to John 7, verse 30, it says, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Chapter 8, verse 20. 
He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Chapter 12, verse 23. The hour, the hour. The hour, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So there's a clue. And then in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is all in the context of Jesus predicting his death. Chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. The hour is about the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And Jesus acknowledges here in chapter 2, you know, it's like, is it time? I don't know, the hour hasn't come. Because once he starts doing signs, and this will be the first sign in John's Gospel, it's like he's hitting the go button and he's on his way. He's on his way to the cross and the resurrection. Now, of course, if I say on the third day, what, where does your imagination go? And you read on the third day and you go, ooh, 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 the resurrection, right? And, um, and maybe that's John's technique here. He wants to trigger you. And the resurrection gets us thinking about that great wedding day at the end of history, doesn't it? When the church is the bride... And the bride is presented to the groom. And the groom is, it's Jesus. And we're joined together forever. That'll be a great day where we stand before God. A day when there'll be no more COVID and no more death and no more family dramas. Good things galore. Better things galore. It'll be a celebration of love and oneness and togetherness. Happiness, joy, all found and anchored in our relationship, our union with Christ Jesus, that great wedding day at the end of history. And it's all made possible because the hour does come. It's made possible because of the cross, because Jesus, the groom, lays down his life for his bride, the church, where sin is paid for, All the bad debt is gone, where we are forgiven and washed and cleansed. And the promise is that we will be able to stand before God, our Creator, because we stand with Jesus. And so we cling to him, we we hold on to his hand, don't we? Like any bride and groom does on their wedding day. We stand next to Jesus as we appear before our holy creator, God. Which means you don't want to stand before God as a lone ranger. No, we all need what Jesus gives. And if Jesus gives his all as the groom, we can't help but love him in return. Now that's Ephesians chapter 5. That's worth a read at your leisure. But back to the text. See, we got carried away with four words on the third day. But there it is. What about marriages back then? Jewish marriages 
normally began with a party, a joyful wedding feast. There'd be music and dancing. Uh, the groom's family would pay for the event and they would cater and the entire community uh, would join the wedding procession. Um, and it'd, it'd go for days. I think it was seven days I read. Um, notice there's a master of the banquet. He's got a position of honour and great responsibility because the reputation of the hosts is in his hands. He runs the catering. Um, he, he's got to know about stock levels and supplies and what he needs. And he's got to keep things going, looking after people for seven days. Imagine that. But maybe as we read this, I just wonder whether this bloke's not so good at it. Because they run out of wine. That's the crisis. And on account of his incompetence, the hosts will face the prospect of embarrassment and shame and humiliation and ridicule in their community. This is what is at stake, their reputation. And it is a big deal. It's a big deal. But you know this story. You know that Jesus is going to change it, don't you? He's going to change all that. Look at verse 6. What does Jesus do? Well, verse 5, Mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Who says no to someone's mother? It's just how it rolls. Verse 6, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding uh, from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. Let's talk about the ceremonial jars. Remember the picture I showed you. Uh, here there are six ceremonial jars. Is that right? Yep. Verse 6, it's customary for Jews to plunge their arms uh, to the elbows in water before entering a home. So they dip um, hands as well. And this was in case they touched an object that a Gentile had handled because that would make them ceremonially unclean. And Mark chapter 7 verses 3 to 4 speaks to that. Um, it's not so much about hygiene, uh, but ritual purity. And of course, we know in this whole conversation about ritual purity and cleansing that Jesus would later teach, again in Mark chapter 7, that cleansing and purity isn't so much about what people touch. It's about the human heart. The human heart is the true source of impurity Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. It's all there in Mark chapter 7. Jesus speaks about that. And he says, it's our hearts that are impure. Our hearts that we need to do business with. That is the crisis. That's the real crisis. We need to be cleansed. And so we read that and go, yep, we know that. Jesus to the rescue. Hallelujah. Of course, Jesus fills the
the jars with water and it turns out to be about 120 gallons, I think. Uh, we know about a, what a 40-gallon drum looks like, don't we? You know what a 40-gallon... You've already stood around a fire and you've got the fire in the 40-gallon drum. You know what it looks like. Here's a picture of three. Multiply that by three. That gives you about 120 gallons. And now fill it in your imagination with the world's best wine. Happy days, right? And so, again, we read this and we go, Applications easy. Jesus loves a party. That's an application. Jesus loves a celebration. Jesus listened to his mum. We could also say that. And that's good news. Uh, Listen to your parents. Uh, Safe and easy answers. Uh, A little bit lightweight, though. See, let's think about this. How do you feel about ceremonial jars being used as wine vats? Yeah, well, that sounds great because look what he does with it. But what about the tradition of ritual purity and what it, what they're used for and symbolise? Because here Jesus, he undoes it. Jesus sets it aside. He does away with their purpose. And he actually not only sets it aside, he completely repurposes these jars for drinking. Wine. Happy days. Now, how might the conservative religious feel? Can you hear them coming up and going, you know, my grandchildren, they stuck their elbows from their hands to their elbows uh, in these things. This is outrageous. You can't use these for that. They might say that. What did John the Baptist say about washing and cleansing? He said, John the Baptist said, I'm going to wash you with water, but there's another guy coming, the Lamb of God. You want washing and cleansing, well, he's going to take away the sins of the world. He's going to do that cleansing of the heart that we all so desperately need. Jesus is the one who's going to deal with our shame and our humiliation. We are to depend on Christ crucified, risen and exalted for our cleansing before God over and above any ritual, any tradition, any ceremony. You've got to be trusting Jesus. It's about, firstly, a relationship with him. A sprinkling of so-called holy water doesn't make anybody holy. Getting dunked or plunged doesn't make you holy doesn't make you right with God. Baptism is a good thing, but remember, it's an outward sign of Christ's washing and forgiveness. It points to what Jesus has done. And it must be met with faith. Faith, not in the water, but in the person, the life, the work, the ministry. Of Jesus Christ himself. Notice too, the host's reputation is upheld. Their honour remains. So application, Jesus is the friend of everybody. He'll eat and drink with anybody. He cares about honour. It's an important thing. He cares greatly about potential shame. And he's going to undo it. That's what Jesus is like. Again, it shows you that Jesus 
cares more about people and relationships than he does about tradition and ritual purity customs. And what about the master of the banquet? Here's the last thing for you. He drinks it and he goes, well, this is just simply the best. I mean, he could launch into Tina Turner right now and sing simply the best, better than all the rest. Can you hear him singing? We could turn this into a musical. He's got the best wine. It's in the cup. The smell is overwhelming his senses. It's so good. It's under his nose. Yet he's oblivious, isn't he? He has been given the best. He's, got, he's the catering manager. He's got no idea where it comes from. He's got no idea where this blessing comes from, and that is a tragedy. Because there's lots of people like this in our world. Jesus blesses us. Jesus wants good things for us. Jesus is completely for us. Jesus is, yeah, he's strong. He is powerful. He can turn water into wine, man. But he is also so kind and loving and compassionate. Yet people are blind. The master of the banquet, the catering manager, what does he do? He just, he just dismisses it as stock that was hidden away. He's not across things. That's his job. He's got no clue. He's ignorant. He's presumptuous. Even when his bacon has been saved. Because he's the one that gets kicked in the butt when things go wrong. Well, in our world, there's lots of people like that. There's lots of people like Nathan or Nathaniel. who's skeptical about, skeptical about Jesus, the Saviour. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus undoes that. Or they're just plain and ignorant. And they'll take the blessings like this master of the banquet. And they think God's akin to an ATM. Happy to pull out the cash, take all the good things, without ever making a deposit. And that's sad. That's really sad. But if they knew that in this village, or somewhere near here, that Jesus turned six large jars of water into the best quality wine going around, maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe they'll change their mind. I guess that leaves us with the last question. Will you tell them? Will you tell them? Should come to
Come to a time of prayer. Uh, please take some time, set it aside to deliberately, intentionally pray. Uh, find things to thank God for. There is lots of things that we can still we can praise God for. Uh, come to God with your petitions. Absolutely. Uh, this is a time at the time of preparing this. Omicron is going bonkers with uh, tens of thousands of cases uh, impacting people and it's creeping towards our local communities and it's causing lots of angst and strife as the reality of the threat of this plague 
becomes nearer and nearer and nearer. Uh, and so pray for unity, for good relationships, even in families. Uh, I know my family's impacted. Um, church families, we've got to keep being light in this dark place. We need to preserve our witness and be about the gospel and not other things. Uh, we need to keep Jesus front and central and not get distracted from that. You can pray to that end, please. Please pray to that end. Um, we could pray for the leaders of our world, of our of our world, our nation, for for Scott Morrison and our Premier Dominic Perrottet, our local government leaders, those who oversee us and try and look after us. You can pray for wisdom and fairness and justice. They're good things to pray. Pray for the sick and the needy, the lonely, the outcast. And don't be afraid to pray for yourselves. Jesus prayed for himself, absolutely. Um, so I encourage you to do that as well. Um, most of all, we pray that we grow in Christ Jesus, uh, that we would um, hold fast to that wonderful picture of clinging to him on that day, clinging to the groom, clinging to the lamb, uh, the one we call Jesus as we stand before God. And uh, we can give thanks for that assurance, uh, but also ask that we uh, continue and, and press on in faith. Absolutely. We continue just by way of information. Uh, we're going to continue using the lectionary. I think it's um, year C we might be in. And we'll do that right up until Easter. And that'll give uh, time for our new young assistant minister uh, to start up and uh, look, the lectionary takes you to the Gospels. The Gospels are a good thing to be in. And that'll be a great help to Matt, I think, as he uh, begins his preaching ministry. And it'll be good for us. Makes sense in the lead up to Easter. And then after that, we'll get back to preaching books of the Bible. Uh, so pray for me as I think about what comes after Easter. Lots of thoughts and ideas. And I appreciate your prayers as always. Uh, may God bless you. May God uh, keep you. May he uh, lift up his favour upon you. Uh, may he bless you. And most of all, may the Lord grant you his peace. We know we've got peace because we know we've got Jesus. Amen.